0: welcome back to hire everyone
1: the podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing us how to succeed in it
0: because we've all been there haven't we it's time to get unstuck
1: oh baby it's time to make some change it's time to lead and as always it's time to hit that funky beat nikki simmons (laughs) america's career coach is on the higher career podcast really oh my goodness (laughs)
0: i'm so excited for this one it's gonna be amazing all the things we have read and seen about him and he is gonna give us so many amazing tips
1: i know and we're talking about it as if it's about to happen but obviously it already happened to us as we're recording this little piece of banter in (laughs) post-production But everybody, you know, today we thought not do a scripted comedy piece as per usual, but we will bring that back in the next episode. And today we just want to wish you a good and joyous ride with Ken Coleman, everybody. Let's
0: Let's go go get get it. it. We have got Ken Coleman in the virtual studio today. I can't wait for this one, Tom.
1: Well, you don't have to because here we are <laughs> with Ken. Spectacular connection between Switzerland and Tennessee. This is amazing. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Um, as always, we will ask you to do a quick elevator pitch. But because we are sneaky, we don't want it to be a three-story elevator. So we always go up some tall building. I don't know if you've been in Paris before, but let's say we go up the Eiffel Tower. So off you go. Who is Ken Coleman? Ken Coleman.
2: <laughs> uh well I am a uh, husband of Stacy for 23 years father of Ty Chase and Josie all teenagers and I am a guy who has a deep appreciation for history and the role that each person on the planet can play to make their own specific history um I'm very driven to max out in my own life to be the best version that I can be and that desire has spilled over to try to help as many people as possible discover who they are and then be the best version of who they really are simply because i believe every person was created to fill a unique role i think there's relational purpose and i think there's professional purpose and i think that that both are equally important because work is not something that we were you know just kind of given as this utilitarian task Mm. Uh, work is given to us to actually create and whatever form of creation that looks like we all are creators and i think we are created to create so that we can make the world a better place and give ourselves away to others and so purpose our why why we exist just as a hammer exists to uh hammer a nail Mm -hmm. we all have a unique why and I want to help as many people as possible figure out what that is and then do it and uh, get to the end of their life and reminisce not regret and so we do that via uh, a live radio show that's syndicated across the country we're also on Sirius XM we write books we create resources like the get clear career assessment and uh, we have a big vision to infiltrate the education system to teach this stuff uh, to help companies lead and uh, select the right people and get them on the right seat of the bus, all from this methodology that there's a unique role we were created to fill.
0: Love this. Now, Ken, don't give us away too much because, you know, when we're going to go through the whole session, we (laughs) will want you to also, and you've given us quite a bit there, but we know we're going to get deeper in, but we'll also get you to keep your top three tips, normally three, but if you've got any more, any less, that's Okay. Till the end, because we want everyone to listen right to the end and have key takeaways for them to go away Mm -hmm. and do immediately after listening to you. So please remember that when we're going through the show too. Now, the first part we're going to go is a little bit of history. So what we want to do is, yeah, just have a look through what's happened and your career and all the things that have gone on before you've got to this point. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an absolute honor. We've read so much about you, heard so much about you. So for us, it's amazing to have you on here. And as America's Career Coach, there must have been other iterations of Ken Coleman though before that right so we talk about career progression and the freedom to choose a lot on our show so can you give us a little bit of your history what were you before all this happened and and how did it all come about
2: well I you know at 16 I I had a very clear vision for my future and it was to be in political office so to run for office uh, and then to serve the public In the area of politics. And so I very clearly went on that path, had some uh, fantastic success as a young guy, was working uh, in campaigns at the age of 19, took a semester off of college uh, and then uh, went back and rotted for about a year and said, I got to get back out in the fight. And so I did. And by the age of 23, I was working for uh, the governor of Virginia and uh, was off and running. And after about a year of that, I decided to get out to go into business so that I could build a business uh leadership resume so that I could run one day and have the most well rounded you know uh, resume possible and so I went down that path and and so I had some success in business and was an executive and and was planning on you know at some point stepping out and running and I get to my early thirties and um uh, I'm speeding through this process here, but I I was wrestling with uh, the fact that I was losing the desire, the passion for working in politics for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And that became very disheartening and a little bit disillusioned, you know, in that process as I kind of sat back and said, wait a second, I was on purpose with this. I was moving towards this. I had some success in this deep abiding passion and conviction for this. And now all of a sudden not all of a sudden, but over a period of years, uh, it began to wane. And and so that was that a was really, really interesting time. And so I'm 30, we'll call it 31, 32, somewhere in that range, and going through some real confusion, and what I would call a career crisis because I was always so on purpose. And, and so I began to wrestle with it. And as I wrestled with it, uh, I began to lean towards broadcasting through a series of kind of encounters and, and conversations and begin to say, okay, is this possible? And it didn't feel like it was possible because I didn't go to school for it. I didn't have hardly any relationships in it and obviously zero experience. Hmm. And so you're fighting this, you know, is this bad pizza or is this like my heart what's going on here? You know? And, <laughs> and, and the reality was it was my heart, but it was terrifying In that I had a good sense of the mountain that I would like to climb broadcasting, and it had a lot of similarities to politics, but it just seemed insurmountable, Mm -hmm. Uh, incredibly intimidating because I didn't see a very clear path at all. And so you start to wonder are you delusional? You know, um, what are other people going to say when you announce this pretty massive pivot? All of those things. And so that was the moment where. I had to dig in and I did, but then I delayed a lot because it's terrifying. The fear and doubt were, were crippling. And, mm-hmm. and so that was when I started the process that I now have honed and has become my methodology. But that's, that's the backstory because I had to wrestle with it myself. I know what other people are feeling. I know what other people are thinking. And I know how important it is that we figure it out because there are multiple options. It didn't have to be just broadcasting for me but that's the path that I chose and it's on Mm. purpose for me.
1: I really love the points that you've just brought up and also one that you made earlier where you help people identify the why that drives them, which is very similar to what Nikki and I are talking about on this show, which is for Mm. people to take the time and have the mental capacity by mastering their career and by learning from uh, people in the field to uh, have the freedom of mind to to articulate their values, formulate them and actually share them and um, change the organizations where they work and So I love that you're here on the show with us and especially in this month, now it's November, winter is approaching. This episode is supposed to also be one for the heart a little bit. So um, we're done with credentialing. By the way, well done, Ken. Obviously, this is not your first rodeo. Uh, Let's get into the tough questions, shall we? So careers are always wild and wicked things. All of us have different starting points. Some of uh, us are more fortunate than others uh, with access to education and a broader job market. And all of us are subject to... Change currents that seem to be outside of our control. So the one thing we believe can guide all of us through um, is this internal compass, this sense of how we like to work, how we want our lives to feel. And on the flip side, um, to also know what we don't want life to feel like. Um, But all too often, we have internal villains that keep us from building the sense, this relationship with ourselves. So um, how do these villains manifest in your experience, Ken, and what are some practical ways to move past them?
2: Yeah, I love that question. I think the big three for all humans, uh, and let's think of them almost as giant buckets of nastiness, Mm. and it's fear, doubt, and pride. Those are the big for me. And I think this is true of all of us. So, you know, there there are many different manifestations, voices, if you will, that uh, we deal with. And it's very important to understand that uh, this is part of the journey. In fact, Hmm. if you're facing constant voices of fear, doubt, and pride, that's actually a good sign because that means you're actually moving. Uh, You are moving emotionally, moving physically towards something because the people who sit on the sidelines of life, they don't experience a lot of fear, doubt, and pride because they're they're just not moving. So a couple of things here, let me outline a couple biggies that we outline in the book. Uh, and that I deal with on the show every day with folks. One is in the area of fear, fear of the unknown is is just unbelievably crippling. The fear of the unknown, you know, if we've ever driven a car in deep fog uh, or a torrential downpour of rain to where you can't see past the hood of your car, it's one of the most terrifying, unnerving situations ever. And what do we do? We stop, we pull over.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the fear of the unknown is terrifying. And it's, I think, the greatest fear. The the other big fear is fear of rejection. You know, this goes back to when we were little kids, maybe in grade school, you know, writing a note. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. You know, we all <laughs> want to be accepted, right? We long to belong. So fear of failure is another one. That's, a, a, you know, what's it going to be like when I fail? And oh my gosh, am I going to be homeless? Am I going to starve? So Fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of failure. Those are biggies. Doubt, um, I doubt that I actually am going to be able to pull this off. I doubt that I have what it takes is a big doubt. I just doubt that I'm good enough. Uh, Another one is I doubt that I have enough time or money. Life is, it's too late. I've already started down this path. It's just not possible. Um, I doubt that anybody will give me a shot. These are the voices of doubt. And then pride is, is two main voices in pride. And one is, um, I, I, I don't want to be that person who asks for help. I don't, and people, got, they're too busy. They, they, they won't help me, and I don't want to ask for help. Um, another one is, what are people going to think if I actually walk away from something that I'm good at? Maybe I have terrific benefits and pay. What are people going to say about me? So those are quick summaries of the voices that I believe every human being who is on purpose, walking towards a purpose or wants to be intentional is going to face. So the second part of your question was, well, how do we overcome these? If you will? Because I want to point out that you cannot remove these voices, that you just can't remove them from your life. They're always going to be there. Okay. Uh, but the great news is you can overcome them. You can swat them away, if you will. And so the way that I teach is very clearly is, number one, let's put it on the witness stand. Let's take those voices and let's put it on the witness stand in our very own courtroom drama. And let's mm-hmm. thunder away and see if, in <laughs> fact, those voices are telling the truth. Because here's the key. Sometimes the voices of fear and doubt are telling us the truth. Pride's never telling us the truth. Pride's mm-hmm. very selfish and uh, no, circum, uh, no circumspect at all. But, but fear and doubt can sometimes tell us the truth. There are times where we're afraid because we should be afraid. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, this is crazy risky. This is, this is, this is almost insanity. You know, if I, if I get too close to the fire and I begin to get afraid, fear is telling me the truth. If I edge to the cliff and I look over and I am overcome with fear uh, fear is protecting me. There, get away from the cliff. Doubt, same thing. Sometimes, uh, so we want to put it on the witness stand. So we just say, "What's the voice saying?" Okay, and so we put it up there. Is this true? What would be the worst possible thing that could happen if this in fact was true? And so we put it up there. And many times, we're going to find that we're not going to, you know, be rejected soundly by all our friends and family. We're not going to never get a yes. These type of things, and so when we figure out if fear and doubt are limiting us and holding us back because they're lying, then we say, okay, that's not the truth. What is the truth? The truth is I'm not going to starve. The truth is I'm not going to be homeless. The truth is someone will give me a chance. The truth is is that I do have the talent. And so we begin to then once we've discovered is it true or false. If it's true, then we back away and we recalibrate. If it's false, then we focus on the truth. What is the truth? And then we act on the truth. Now, here's why that little process is is so powerful. We know from research uh, about the brain, that our brain has this wonderful little uh, function in it, and uh, it's called the reticular activating system. I write about this in the book. And the way it works is our brain turns into a camera, and it takes pictures of what we think about, what we focus on. Now, we all know this, that we can't control our what thought comes into our head, but we can control if it stays there. And mm-hmm. so when we begin to focus on a specific thought and we stay focused on it, then our brain goes out and takes pictures of it, gets evidence of it to support the thought. I'll give you an example. If you've ever bought a car uh, and you've driven that car home you've seen that car everywhere for about five to seven days. You remark about it. You're like, I didn't see that car a day ago. Now I see it everywhere. What's going on? Did it just magically appear? Well, it didn't magically appear. It's that my brain was so focused on that because of the purchase, the excitement of the purchase, that now my brain went, oh, we're really focused on this. Great. Let's go see this. This also works with victim thinking or insecurity. It's like if you feel like you're a victim and you think you're a victim, you'll feel and see everywhere evidence that you are, in fact, a victim. Mm. And, uh, and so this is true. In fact, uh, there's actually a psychology study that they did uh, here in the States many years ago that's the most fascinating uh, evidence of this. They put several people in a room and they put a video on and they were told before the video started that they were there to watch a basketball drill. And the drill was uh, these young men running up and down the court, three of them passing the ball back and forth to each other. And the, the uh, respondents were told to record one thing and only one thing, how many times the ball is passed during the exercise. And so they did it. And about halfway through the exercise, the, uh, the folks running the study had a guy come out in a gorilla costume and just stand there in the middle of the basketball court while the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the kids ran past him. And at the very end, only three out of, I think, 20 or some people even saw the gorilla. Yep. Now, that's the power of focus. Mm-hmm. William James, the father of modern psychology, once said, no matter how absurd something is, if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. Now, we've seen that through history. We've seen that with dictators. We've seen that with politicians. We see that with marketing. We see it with all kinds of things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The reality is, is that if we personalize that, We really start to understand this unbelievable power here of these fears and doubts that we Mm. allow to stay in our head. If no matter how absurd my thought is, if I think it enough, I will believe it. Yeah. That's the translation. And so the reality is back to the process that I just taught. It is very important that you don't let those absurdities become realities by letting them stay in your head. And uh, so that's a quick, that's about as quick as I can break that down. (laughs) But that's, that's really what's going on there with people. And that's what holds them back some combination of those voices and they've Mm. never figured out how to overcome them
1: but it was perfect thank you so much for sharing that there's so much to unpack and i do say this all the time because i'm editing these episodes so at least once i re-listen every episode but this one i will certainly re-listen twice and uh, to anybody out there um ken has mentioned the book uh, a bunch of times we will be sure to uh, share all of ken's social handles and um, the link to the book and his homepage uh, in the show notes below so if you're interested if you're keen if you want to support his work uh, please pop down, have a look, and uh, if you like, hit that cart button. I want to go in on um, on two elements here really quickly because uh, on you know while you can. Um, where you can corrupt your own thinking by um, focusing on the negative or in pride and doubt for uh, too long we see this incredible trend these days um, about positive affirmations about manifestation about journaling and it's not about magic and summoning wonderful things towards you it just has to do with priming your brain uh, um, as to what you wanted to look for. And so it appears as if opportunities magically fall from the sky like a deus ex machina, but it's actually because you're teaching yourself to look for it. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's the one point that I wanted to um, hone in on, because there's a lot of power in um, in that methodology. And the other one is uh, the point about fear. And we spoke about this in a previous episode um, with a psychologist as well, where fear is is an evolutionary instinct that keeps us safe. If there's a rustling in the bush, it is most uh, certain, it's probable that it will be some kind of predator uh, ready to snatch us. uh, And so we hide and we run. Nowadays, and specifically with respect to our careers, fear can also be an indicator of worthiness. So opportunities um, that have high value for us are also often perceived as high risk because what if it doesn't work out? What if I don't get this thing that I really, really wanted to have? That often manifests as fear. And uh, that's how this internal compass is so um, tricky to learn because it can indicate something to walk away from like a cliff. It can also indicate something to walk towards to because it's a high reward opportunity. So I just wanted to uh, hone in on these two things. Nikki? (laughs)
0: yeah absolutely this is coming we could talk for hours on this subject i think we did Mm -hmm. have fiona moss was wasn't it tom and she had her villagers in your head (laughs) so she she described them as villagers of all the different voices so really interesting as well but we can go back to that another time um the next part is basically what work is supposed to be and ken you just said it very very well there um about you know there's a lot of things, like you said, fear, rejection, doubt, pride and all those things come, especially these days in social media, with social media being flooded with stories of purpose and people finding their calling, living their best lives, thriving. And it's not always the case, right? Because it's, it's not real. And you said that as well, you were saying, you know, we need to r- look at these fears and see if they're real or not. And, and that's what happens, in thinking in social media a lot. Um. That can be very intimidating and people who just want to go to work, do a good job, keep their, you know, intimate passion for their family and social life. They can feel alienated and it's difficult, you know, if you don't have a calling and you just want to have a normal life. So we would love to unpack these stereotypes in this little part and explore the many ways in which work can be fulfilling, as long as you know why you want to do what you do. So can we can we speak to you kind of a little bit about that and how we should be striving for the calling
2: yeah because i think that we have to first start with how how important is this i mean is this just is this an option that has a whole lot of good stuff attached to it or is it really who we are to, to actually strive to make a unique contribution. I say, absolutely. And I'll tell you why, because I don't think you have to teach anybody. In fact, I know we've never, there's no course. There is no teaching human beings how to lay awake at night or in the shower or behind the wheel of a car or at the foot of a tree or wherever to wonder, why am I here? I mean, think about that. Nobody teaches us, just like mm-hmm. we don't teach a toddler to say no. <laughs> yeah. They just do it,
1: <laughs> right? True.
2: So if that's true, I think we can all agree that is true. Mm-hmm. Well, where's that coming from? I mean, this is, I'm not trying to be crazy deep here, and I, but I'm, I'm simply, we must first understand, well, is this who we are as humans? We long to contribute. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we long to belong. Okay, and so all of this starts to come together when you go. Wait a second, is there more to work than just provision, taking care of myself and my family? And I think the answer is absolutely unequivocally yes. I mean, it, there is more to it, and it's because we're trying to answer the question, "Why am I here?" That's in our mm-hmm. soul. So, if it's in our soul then we've got to get in tune with that. And we've got to say, all right, calling. I mean, let, let, I love that you use the word calling because I think that is exactly what it is. I think that there is, uh, it, there is a, a, a specific role. Now, again, the job can be, there's multiple jobs, multiple career paths, um, even multiple dream jobs that are in your purpose, in your sweet spot, as I like to say. Mm. And but there's a when we use the word calling that is really interesting. It's almost as if it's just pulling us. it's saying over here, over here, you know, and I think that's important for people to understand. So you know the stereotype of work, unfortunately, I think there's just primarily one, and that is, well, you work to live, right you work so you can make some money and pay the bills. I mean, if you go back to the stone age, right when when there wasn't much commerce, right? It was like, okay, I work to get eggs, I work to get this, we're trading goods, then commerce enters into the picture, and it's like I work in in exchange for my work, I get money, and then that money is what allows me to live well, that's fundamentally true, okay, um, but there's more there, and you think about a craftsman, you know um. I've I've been privileged to go to a lot of historical sites here in the United States and mm-hmm. and uh you know you watch a true craftsman do their work, you know, a blacksmith, a silversmith, mm-hmm. you know, a furniture maker, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. The great craftsmen love the work. Like they really love the work. They're not just yeah. doing it for a paycheck. They love the artisan part of that and we're all artisans we've got to start to look at work that way so Mm -hmm. you know the stereotype is well i just got to go find a good job and so hopefully i can make a good paycheck if if i somehow fall into a great job whoo lucky me (laughs) and that's the that's generally the that's what i believe is the um the stereotype and of course you the two of you and me were very much in alignment that no there's work out there that Um, Even on the days you don't feel great, you can quickly fall into high emotion and high devotion thinking about your work and diving into it. And time seems to stand still. And it's the love of the work and the love of the result of the work
1: but i think i mean <laughs> this is wonderful we've been uh we spoke about this on uh in a short in a short clip on our instagram which is go higher podcast um recently where we seem to be all being primed and conditioned to believe that the ultimate career fulfillment is to go to university do a job hang on to it for dear life for as long as possible climb as high as we can retire so that we can finally breathe and finally live our lives and that is just the biggest tragedy of all and i think you have given us a wonderful way out of this is that we need to just expand our sense of creativity and of perception to look at our world with fresh eyes rather than constantly thinking about running away and for me this certainly has been clear I know what kind of I know what I want my life to feel like I know what kind of impact I want to have I want to make a contribution to um, the, to environmental sustainability I want to preserve the lushness of nature um, but I'm quite open to um, to the many ways in which I can do this which is now through the podcast we're trying to inspire people to find their values and to become advocates for them it's through consulting business i'd be very happy to take another job it's just there's millions of different ways so long as i keep my eyes on that endpoint, mm-hmm. i'm i can take path a b c or d and if one of them leads to a thorny bush and i'd rather turn back and try another one i know i can And I think, you know, again, this is easier said than done, but we all have that potential in us so long as we um, so long as we remember that we've got the freedom to choose to choose. And I have a follow up question here because we spoke about um, the calling. And do you believe that this type of uh, this kind of typification is helpful? The job, the career, the calling or um, are things a little bit more complex can a calling sometimes feel like a job or can we know our calling and still enjoy just doing a job to make ends meet um i think in essence my question is do we have more freedom to shape how work feels to us than this kind of typification calling job career um suggests
2: yeah i think that's right um you know i mean i if i understand what you're asking yeah i think that you can You can always find a way to enjoy work. You know, I I teach that there are many day jobs before you step into the dream job. So Hmm. you better change your attitude, you know, and say, hey, I, I, am not in the dream job. You know, I've got several rungs on the ladder. I still got to climb, but I can find some enjoyment, some appreciation, some gratitude for the work because, you know, it's the, it's, it's the process so mm-hmm. yes, I, 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 do think that, and I, but because I, I, again, I, I've never known anybody that just steps out and steps into the dream job, you know, right out of the gate. I mean, this is a process. This is a climb. Mm. And, um, it is, it is important that we understand that, that good work is honorable. And, and so there, there is, uh, there is a higher calling to even the early jobs. Because it is those early jobs, the, the paying our dues, if you will, mm. that prepare us for that dream, you know, and, and there's, there's great worth and struggle um, and, and all of that. You know, I know for me personally, I, to be where I am now in my dream job, and I'm still dreaming, still expanding, still, still uh, growing and doing and, and learning and all those things. Yes. But I would not have appreciated it as much as I do now had I not gone through that you know the ten year process, mm-hmm. uh, ten years you know because media and broadcasting is very very difficult to get into and to win, and so it was a long process. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there is, you know, the classification and all that. I, I think at the end of the day, it's like, hey, if, once I know what I'm supposed to do, there are a lot of different ways I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I would be coaching probably basketball, you know, um, because for me, it has all the same elements of what I do now, which is ultimately teaching, coaching, cheering, encouraging, equipping. Um, and, and, and so um, I, I think sometimes people go, well, you know, I, there's purpose in just this day job because the purpose is the paycheck. And I would say, yes, but that's half of the equation Mm -hmm. because the reality is, is no matter how big the paycheck is and the data backs me up on this, um, if you don't do work that you love, that produces results that connect to your values, Mm. something's missing and you'll know it and you'll try to Mm -hmm. fill that void in other places. And that's why, you know uh, people who settle into a job that they absolutely love, but doesn't make a whole bunch of money, but they learn how to live on less, um, they have very fulfilled lives. Um, like a teacher, for instance, you know, who says, Hey, this is my lot. This is, this is what I love to do. And I find tremendous calling and purpose in this. And then they adjust their life to that. Um, so I think that's important perspective as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's so many different things that we all like, but it's, I guess what we try to do is a lot of the time is figuring out when we get stuck, when we get stuck in that kind of role, like Tom was saying earlier, you just like, you know, you've been conditioned to go to university, get a job and stay there, you know, and that's where we try to connect to the people and try and say look hey you're a bit stuck let's try and move on from that um but there's so many amazing nuggets of information you're giving us so so far I can't wait to get to the last bit as well but the next part is we're going to talk about from networking to connecting we love this topic because again talking about if you're stuck how do you get out of it it's always a bit of a oh my goodness, everyone else is doing amazing things, especially going back to social media again, or even watching TV, people are doing amazing things. How can I ever do that? How do I use my network to help me to do that? And it's something that I just said, we love it on the (laughs) Higher Career Podcast. And we read all the time that your network is your greatest ally. So we should network every day. But simply sending a message to someone on LinkedIn doesn't quite cut it at the moment, I I suppose. Um, And and that's what people went down that route a lot and still I think people still do and it's something that you probably shouldn't do so often you need to have a little bit more than that so we want to get into tap into your brain a little bit Ken what is networking to you and more critically what does it mean to truly connect in a meaningful way for our careers not just for personal side of things but for our career
2: yeah I think networking is the technical description but connecting needs to be the style um, is how I would summarize <laughs> I it. that. Cause I think that when we choose to connect with people in the technical sense of networking, it's like speed dating on steroids and it's very <laughs> gross and you can turn yourself into a relationship vampire where mm-hmm. people literally see you coming. They're terrified of you, uh, because you're just simply out to suck their blood and leave them at a heap on the floor because it's all about you, 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 you. And I think that that's, you know, now that's gotten, I think, even further watered down, unfortunately, and, and more obnoxious in the form of LinkedIn, and, which is a wonderful service. But I, I like to say that LinkedIn is great for information, not connection, because if you can find a way to connect with them outside of LinkedIn through a mutual relationship to where you can actually speak to them on the phone or do a Zoom call or, better yet, coffee or lunch. Now we're beginning the process of connecting. See, connecting is really about relating. Relate is the root word of relationship. Mm. So if you break it down, I'm a word nerd, but you know, relationship is like an active version of relating. How do you relate? By true communication and connection. I sit with someone and they can relate to me now because I sat in front of them. And I asked them questions about things I needed to know, facts and knowledge. I got their opinion on some directions I might be able to take, or I have a fork in the road. That's wisdom. And I sat with them humbly and said, hey, I want to be like you one day, or I admire you. And so I'm going to make the most of your time because I know you've got some tremendous value you can give me. Uh, by answering my questions, and all of a sudden they feel valuable. And so you've given them value, even though you didn't give them anything other than making them feel Mm -hmm. valuable. And I know successful people, by the way, are more than happy to give themselves away when someone takes them seriously and their time seriously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I teach. You know, the idea of a true connection. You know, I'm an extrovert, um, but my introvert friends do this very well. You know, they're Mm -hmm. more one-to-one. You know, and so get out of this. You know, I've got to send a million emails on LinkedIn and I've got to have a bunch of short conversations and start getting really intentional about who you connect with and how you connect with them. Hunger and humility, intentionality. Those are the three elements of how you truly connect with someone in those formats that I just gave
1: you. Wow. I think this is shockingly (laughs) insightful. And if anything, the way that I have used LinkedIn in the past, it's not the end goal. Much like if you're in communications, sending a social media post is not the end goal. It's a it's a way to open a door to then look into the room behind that, which is where the relationship building starts. So um, if you snoop around on linkedin discover who the people are uh, if you want to have a bit of help um, a lot of virtual events are still happening um, if you want to go to my homepage, which is uh, tom Zamzo, so my uh, first name family name.com um, i have a free networking toolkit um, that i put together for virtual events specifically and it really hones in on that connecting piece how do you identify the people there that you want to be in touch with further down the line how do you build rapport and um, and the sense of connection even though you have never spoken so if you want to um, if you want to um, step up your game in that space if you're a young entrepreneur then definitely go have a look um i have a couple of friends of mine that found this really useful um ken on to the last official question of this episode of the podcast um i want to propose something to you and you can take it or leave it if you manage to weave your three hottest and most practical top <laughs> tips into your reply please do so. And if you would rather say no, totally want to keep that bandwidth for later, then please keep it for later. But let's roll up our sleeves, shall we? So here's a fictitious case. A disgruntled employee is starting to hatch a plan to leave their job and company to pursue a career in the industry of their dreams. The only issue is they don't have the faintest clue about how to get into set industry. Besides the obvious, which is spraying and praying applications absolutely everywhere, how does someone like that start to build this network, connect with it, and action it in a way meaningful to their career development? Mm. Walk us through it.
2: <laughs> well, the first thing I want them to do is I want them to apply the get clear methodology. Let's make absolutely certain that this industry we want to go in is in their sweet spot. And let's also see if there might be some other options as well. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is, and these are my top three tips for anybody in your space, because clarity leads to confidence and confidence leads to courage. So you've got to be clear at all times so that. When the voices of fear and doubt and pride pop up, and they will, Mm -hmm. you can retreat to clarity. Here's how you do it. Number one, you got to be clear on what you do best. That's your talent. I'm talking top talents. I'm not interested in your average talents. That's a waste of time. The top talents you have, hard skills, people skills, character traits. What do you do best? You must think of these top talents as power tools, premium tools that will allow you to do the work you love, we'll get to that momentarily, at a very, very, very high level. It's truly the opportunity for you to be great is your unique assembly of talents. So what do you do best talent? The second thing is work you love. Truly think of the tasks, the roles that give you high emotion and create high devotion. You get excited thinking about them. When you're in the middle of this type of work, life is good. Time stands still. Your heart's racing. you love it. And you also care deeply about being great at it. No one has to tell you to work harder at it to get better at it. That's high emotion, high devotion. That's passion. So the first Mm -hmm. is talent, what you do best. The second indicator that you need to get clear on is passion, work you love. And then the final indicator is mission. The results of your work that matter deeply to you, all work creates results. So once we know what kind of work we love, okay, now let's define this even a little clearer. Let's get clearer on, wait a second, what are the results of this work that give me the most juice? And so that's mission, results that matter to me. Now, when all three of these are in alignment, I'm I'm pursuing in this scenario a, a career that would allow me to use what I do best, talent, to do work I love, passion, to produce results that matter to me, mission. So we need to look and say, does this job or career path I'm going after, does it allow me to get there? If it does, then great news. You should pursue it with reckless, reckless passion, right? Just get after it with everything you got. Okay. So that's the first thing we're going to start with is, are we absolutely clear? Because that's going to give us the confidence we need to go for it and the courage to stay with it. When life throws at the uncertainties at us, the roadblocks, the pitfalls, things of that nature. Now, that's the first part of the uh, question to, to be mm-hmm. really, really clear, because that unbelievable confidence uh, will give you courage when you need it most. Now, Once we're super clear of the direction we want to go, then the best thing you can do is spend your time meeting with, talking with, spending time around people that are doing that really, really well, because that's where opportunities present themselves. It's it's really, really intimidating for people to go, okay, I know the direction, but I have no idea how to get there. Well, one of the ways to figure out the best way to get there is talk to people who are doing it, doing it well, because they know. They had their own path, it may not be the right path for you, but it is very illuminating. They have uh, suggested paths that might work for you. Um, they have other connections and people that they will put you in touch with that will further inform the direction and the uh, the process that could work for you. You need to be in places, it's not just people, but in places where you can observe and learn and see uh, and so whether that be online groups, books, podcasts about this profession, that's what I mean loosely. But when I say places, we've got to get super focused on the people in the places where this type of work is being done and the people that are doing this kind of work. And all of a sudden, when we begin to focus on that back to our very early part of our conversation, what seemed to be completely foggy now is... Blue sky, no clouds, and we can see multiple ways to get to that mountain, if you will, that professional pinnacle. And so that's the process. We are essentially taking on the unknown, and we are filling our minds and hearts with knowledge and possibilities, which give us great confirmation. So that's the process. And and all of a sudden, this great unknown turns into, oh, well, there's this way, there's this opportunity. There's this opportunity there's multiple ways of this opportunity. oh my goodness, there's another one over here, and all of a sudden, the uh excruciating uh fear turns into exhilarating confidence. Mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> I can listen
0: to you for hours about this, Ken. (laughs) I think (laughs) especially one of the things really stood out that you said and I think so many people need to hear this even senior leaders who've been in jobs for years is surrounding themselves with people who are better at them than them at different things because that's the one thing I did as an athlete. I moved to Germany to play for a year. Um, You know, Tom will say they're the best country anyway Um, (laughs) being German all that but I did that because I knew I had to break out and I wanted to be the best I could be So I went there to learn from the best. They had just, you know, they had just won the olympic gold medal and i was there playing with three of them on my team you know that sort of level and i think if people can take one amazing thing out of this is that like don't be afraid to learn from people who are better don't be afraid to have better people on your team because it's only going to make you better yourself and you'll never know what you know you're capable of doing so i think that's something that just really resonates with me now look, oh, i'm
2: so glad you brought that up i, I want to interject yeah. really quickly i wrote sure, a book an it. entire book on this Uh, Called the proximity principle. And the proximity principle simply says in order to do what you want to do, you got to be around people that are doing it and get Uh in places where it is happening. And this is where opportunities to learn, Uh do, connect happen. And I love the illustration that you just gave. These world class athletes get this Uh because here's what happens. You know, this as a world class athlete, Uh that when I'm around better people, they lift me, Uh they push me. And they hold me accountable. Uh, th- those those are three really really valuable things that happen when we get around people that are further along than us. And 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 you know it's uh, if you've ever run, trained with a better runner, mm-hmm. I have a faster pace when I run with better runners. I would never push myself that hard on my own, mm-hmm. but then I put myself around another fantastic athlete or great runner, and they just naturally pull me. Um, into their orb, if you will, of excellence. And the great news is about all of that is you start hanging around excellent people, you by osmosis will become excellent. There's the world's um, longest relationship study uh, done by Harvard Great University here in the states mm-hmm. uh, over 75 years, and they study people from birth until uh, until end of life. It's unbelievable study, and they conclusively determined. That the that that uh, the people you spend the most time with in your life determine f- they determine it determines rather ninety five percent of your success or failure whatever which way way you go ninety five percent of your success or failure determined uh-huh. primarily by the people you spend time with so if you spend time with people that are fearful doubtful mm. negative insecure gossipy victim mm-hmm. i got I got bad news for you you're really stacking the odds against you on the other hand, if you spend time with people that are hopeful uh, on purpose disciplined uh positive you know people that want to learn all the time uh, they are um they're, they're indefatigable is one of my favorite words. They just won't quit. You Mm -hmm. hang around people like that. I got great news. (laughs) Good things are going to happen.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. My mind is blown. And again, as I said, we could talk to you for hours and you've got so much to, you've given us so much to think about and especially for our podcast and our listeners. So thank you. And Tom, over to you
1: yeah and look i don't have much to add really i'm just gonna <laughs> see us over the finish line real quick anybody who's still here with us hey thank you so much for listening and for sticking around i hope this episode was helpful to you uh, as already mentioned we're going to leave all of ken's information in the show notes below so whatever podcast player you're using just uh Open your phone, open your computer, and uh, there's a little button somewhere inside of this episode mm-hmm. that's going to expand, and uh, um, you will have all the information to so get in touch with Ken, his team, all of his material, his book, um, if you want to take your, your own career to the next level and have a deeper appreciation for the why of what you do. So, Ken, for the thousands time, thank you so much for your many wisdoms, for being here with us today, and um, cheers.
2: Thank you all. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you.